0: be able to have the opportunity to share with you guys this morning. Um, Graduation Sunday and graduation in general is one of those seasons of life that um, brings all sorts of mixture of emotions to your life, and I didn't think it would be fair to show all those embarrassing pictures of our graduating seniors without being a little vulnerable with you guys this morning as well. Now let me preface this by saying a couple of things. One, I'm super insecure, so be nice. (laughs) <laughs> Two, you guys are really nice, so be extra nice. But um, as as we were looking, as I was looking through graduation photos, I just had to send my mom a message, and I was like, "Mom, you've got to send me some of my senior photos, so I can." I'm an example of what you once were is not necessarily who you're going to be. So let's take a look at my first senior photo here. Look at that guy. Woo! Now I blame my mom for the haircut. And all the genetics, those are basically my mom and dad's fault. Um, But uh, go ahead into the next picture. Now, how many of you know when mom is paying for the senior photos, you take whatever poses mom wants you to take, right? So as much as we were all proud of me being an Eagle Scout, that was, hey, mom's paying. Mom gets what mom wants. Now, the next picture is me redeeming myself, kind of. So for all of you that thought that that little Boy Scout was a nerd, that medal around my neck is uh, what tells you that I am a state champion. So... um, (laughs) Uh, so think what you want, I can outrun you, or I can catch you if I need to, so that's the good news. But uh, these graduation seasons, they are seasons of nostalgia for us. We love thinking about the past. As, as family and as parents, we think about the journey that, uh, that these kids have come through, the, the pictures of the students, uh, and, and in our own lives, the, the, where we have come from and where it is that we are going um, and, and so with, with graduation in general or these, these significant moments in life, a lot of times there's fun reflecting on the past, but there's also excitement and anticipation about hope for the future as well. Uh, what will college be like? What career do I want to go into? Will I meet my husband or wife? Very important questions that students are asking as they're graduating. And there's a mix of anxious excitement and anticipation And in some cases, there's some fear about the uncertainties that lie ahead. I was just making sure he didn't still have that creepy picture of me behind me. Um, And so these special milestones in life, a lot of times... Uh, as we reflect on the past and look to the future, it's important for us also to hit the pause button and take full advantage of the moments. We were at Salve's graduation uh, yesterday, and hundreds and hundreds of pictures are being taken to capture the moments. How many of you are willing to be honest this morning, if you're a mom or a grandma, you still have the bulletin of your kid's graduation, from kindergarten even, <laughs> we we love holding on to these moments. For for the parent, usually it's the thought of, man, time has gone by so quickly. Why can't we slow things down for a little bit? For our graduating seniors, it's like, why did this year take so long to get here? If you talk to any senior between the months of January and June and you want to ask them how many days until the end of the school year, they can tell you with precision how many days are left, sometimes down to the hour of how much time is left for them. Our, our culture is a culture obsessed with time. Everywhere we look, uh, the the nature of time or the, the notion of time permeates every part of our culture. Uh, It's in the food that we eat. Certain foods make us healthy, which make us live longer. And then those of you that that shame me for eating my triple cheeseburgers and my 72-ounce Mountain Dews and tell me that my life is going to be shortened, I don't think a cheeseburger and a soda has ever shortened anyone's life. It's the overeating of such things. And so our life is shaped around this idea of time. Take an inventory of the commercials that you see on TV or the products that you see as you walk through stores, all of them offering or promising to repair damage from the past or to elongate your life or make your future a better future, to reverse the effects of time or to extend the quality of life that you'll have. We are a people obsessed with time, either reversing it or speeding it up. And, and so for, for the graduates, there is this season of time, this moment of, of these new beginnings. But the reality is, regardless of your age, if you've already graduated or haven't graduated li- yet, there are these moments that pop up throughout our life on a regular basis. Maybe it's graduation. Maybe it's a new job or a new relationship. Maybe it's starting a family. Maybe it's becoming a grandparent or something as simple as hitting the reset button on the craziness of life. The truth is, we constantly live in this tension of, how do I live my life in such a way that I'm aware of my past, I'm looking to the future, but I'm also fully present? Time itself is not the issue here. and In fact, the problem is sin. And many of you, if you've seen the, the title of my message here this morning, and if you've ever heard me speak before, you're like, oh great, Mark is going to talk about the gospel again. My guess is he talks about Jesus in sin. And the reality is, yes, I'm going to talk about all those things. And you're like, well, that's the only thing he ever talks about. And the reality is, of course, that's the only thing I ever talk about, because it's the only thing I need to constantly be reminded of. And it's the thing as believers in Christ, we need to constantly be reminding ourselves of the gospel. Many Christians believe that the gospel is the starting line for our faith and relationship with Christ and that the gospel is that moment of salvation and as soon as we've made that decision to follow Jesus, we leave the, spart- the starting line and the gospel gets further behind us as we try to mature ourselves and develop ourselves and we move away from the gospel and we're like, all right, we're ready for like the big spiritual stuff, like give me fasting, give me like praying and healing for people, like casting out demons, raising people from the dead, like that's the stuff that we're interested in moving into, but the reality is we never move away from the gospel. We don't move past the gospel. We grow in the gospel. And so, yes, this morning, unapologetically, I will be preaching to you about the gospel, and and specifically, I want to take a look at the gospel and how the gospel impacts our past, our present, and our future. The truth is The enemy, Satan, the destroyer of our lives, he loves to keep us obsessed about time. He loves to keep us obsessed about our past mistakes. If he succeeds, we will never see how God can heal us and give us a new purpose and plan for our future. Satan would love nothing more than to steal your hope of the future by reminding you of your failures from the past. But sometimes we make decisions in the present by ignoring our past and our future. And the present-focused heart says, what do I want now? What will make me happy now? What What will feel good now? And sin deceives us with lies like, don't worry about what happened last time. It'll be different this time. Or it whispers to us, don't worry about the consequences. We can worry about those things later. As much as sin has affect our past, our present, and our future, I'm, I'm hoping to communicate clearly to you this morning that the Gospel and let me give you a definition of the gospel because I'm going to be saying it a lot this morning. And so, the clearest definition of the gospel is the good news about Jesus. The gospel is the good news about Jesus. It's the story of, of God sending his son Jesus to take care of the sin issue on earth by paying the penalty for our sins by death on the cross. And there is this amazing transaction that takes place that we're going to keep talking about this morning. And it's the good news about Jesus and what Jesus has done for us and what Jesus has done in us and ultimately what. Jesus will be doing to take care of sin. And so the gospel, the good news about Jesus has this profound impact on changing our past, changing our present, and changing our future. Let's take a look at a passage of scripture from Philippians. If you want to open up to the book of Philippians in chapter 1. The book of Philippians is written by a, a man by the name of Paul. And he is in prison while he is writing this book. And he's writing to the church in Philippi. And this is a church that he has helped started. It's one that he's very passionate about. He loves the people there very much. And so he's always reminding the, the church in, in, in Philippi, what does it look like to live out the gospel? What is Jesus doing in your lives? And so in Philippians chapter 1, we're going to take a look at verses three through six. This is what it says. Each time I think, this is Paul talking, each time I think of you I give thanks to my God. Whenever I pray I make requests for you with joy for you have been my partners in spreading the good news about Christ from the time you first heard it until now. And we're really going to be focusing in on verse 6 this morning. And I am certain that God who began the good work within you will continue to work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. Something very interesting happens here in verse 6. We see, I I used to be a teacher, and and so I'm also going to give you a little bit, uh, on top of giving you, um, uh, definitions for a lot of words this morning. I'm going to teach you about verb tenses as well. If you've ever taken a foreign language before, you know that's the hardest part, is remembering whether it's past tense, present tense. So we're going to be talking about some verb tenses this morning. And in this verse, in verse 6, we see how the gospel is past tense, present tense, and future tense. Let's take a look at each of them individually. Let's start by taking a look how the gospel changes our past The past tense of the gospel is simply this. You have been saved, have been saved, past tense, you have been saved from the penalty of sin. You have been saved from the penalty of sin. Of sin. It's amazing how much has changed in the last 20 or 30 years of our lives. Um, this week, we're, my family and I are going to be heading down to a state park in West Virginia. And it's a tradition that started with my grandparents, with my mom when she was a little girl. And so for the last, uh, for over 50 years, our family has been taking this vacation down uh, in, in West Virginia to this state park. And I can remember as a kid, um, it, it felt like it took three days to get there. Um, The reality is I found out when I was an adult, it was 45 minutes away from our house, but it felt like an eternity to me. Uh, and so our parents would get us up ridiculously early in the morning. You've probably had these vacations before as well. They'd get us up at like four or five o'clock in the morning. We had a station wagon. They would put the seats down in the back of the station wagon, right? We've been here before. They'd throw some blankets in there, a couple of pillows in there, and then they would like lay us in there. And I realized they didn't do that because it was for our benefit. I have a feeling they did that for their benefit, and that this three-day-long three journey uh, was, was very tiresome for us. And so uh, they would just throw us in the back of the station wagon who cares about seat belts and they would just drive there and uh, we would sleep along the way and two days into the trip we would eventually wake up and um, my brother and sister and I we would play this game called no bones in the back of the vehicle with all the seats down. And, and essentially, it it's, is what it sounds like. You would pretend as if you didn't have any bones. I guess it would probably be no muscles because our bones did, were still there. But we, you, had to, you would just have to let the car tossle you and turn you in whatever way that it did. And the roads to get back to the camp sometimes were kind of fun, windy, bumpy roads. And so we would just like lay as loose as possible and just let the car flop us around and we'd smash our heads into the wheel well and we'd smash into the hump in the middle of the seat, and we'd crack each other's heads open, but the first person that, like, controlled their body and moved would lose, and so we would play this game, no bones, um, wherever we went. It's amazing how much has changed in the last 20 or 30 years of our lives. In fact, it wasn't until 1982 that seatbelt laws existed at all. It's amazing that anyone my generation or older is still alive. (laughs) We should all be dead. Uh, Nowadays, some kids have to stay in a booster seat until like age 10. We've, Joanna's technically not even big enough to be out of a booster seat yet. It's amazing that the laws that we have now. And unfortunately, the effects of those laws or the penalties of those laws have also affected the way that we drive. And so we're driving somewhere, how many of you know toddlers love unbuckling themselves? Like, you stop at a red light, they think that it's time to get out, and they unbuckle themselves. And I'm screaming and yelling, thinking that my hand swatting is going to magically rebuckle. I'm like, there's a cop up there! You've got to sit down! What are you doing? Get back in your seats! Unfortunately, I don't think I'm doing any favors to the police officers in this area because I'm constantly, my kids are so fearful that we're going to get pulled over for speeding or not being buckled up, so I apologize for that. I'm certainly not helping the situation, but it's amazing how much has changed. And the past often reminds us that there are consequences for our disobedience, that there's punishment for breaking the rules, for breaking the laws. But the gospel changes everything for the Christian, The gospel changes everything. The past tense of the gospel is simply this, you have been saved, past tense. You have been saved from the penalty of sin. The past tense happens at the moment of salvation. For those of you who have already made a decision to follow Jesus, this would refer to the moment where you repented of your sin and traded your life for Jesus' life. When you respond to God's grace, God's grace awakens our hearts to realize that we are a sinner in need of a Savior. The reality is we don't even do this on our own. We aren't even able to do this ourselves. There's this this big theological word called prevenient grace. And what prevenient grace is, the fact that the Holy Spirit is the one who has to make our hearts aware of the fact that we are sinners. Outside of God's grace, we're not even aware of how bad we are. And so God's Holy Spirit whispers to us and says, you need help. It says that you need to be saved. You are lost. And so it's through God's grace. And so what happens is we respond to God's grace by faith, and this supernatural transaction takes place. And God's Holy Spirit regenerates our hearts. One way of understanding this is that the Holy Spirit breathes life into your dead heart. The Bible doesn't say you were bad in your sin. It doesn't say you were naughty in your sin. It doesn't say you were wrong in your sins. It doesn't say you weren't good enough in your sins. The Bible says you were dead in your sins. You were dead in your sins. And so the Holy Spirit comes and breathes life into our dead hearts, and at that exact moment, you are fully and completely saved From the penalty of sin. We were dead in our sins, and so our heart needs to be brought back to life. It's like getting a death row sentence, dead man walking, we don't even realize that we're already dead. And so something dramatic has to take place. If you were to die at that moment, you would be free from the penalty or the price of sin. So what is that penalty? In Romans chapter 6, verse 23, the Bible tells us very clearly that the punishment for sin, the penalty for sin, is death. We have a death sentence. We are dead because of sin. We just don't know it yet. And not just physical death, but spiritual death, separation from God, And from who he's created us to be. This whole process, the big theological word that has to do with the past tense nature of of the gospel is the word justification. Let me give you the definition of justification. We're going to put it up here for you because it's a really long word. Um, If Ben will wake up, we'll put the the word up here for you. So justification, I'm sorry I spoke so long, Ben. Justification, this is the definition of justification. It is the act by which repentant sinners, so sinners who have repented, makes sense, the act by which repentant sinners are declared and treated righteous, which means we are approved and accepted, that we are, treated, we are declared and treated righteous by and before a holy God because of their faith alone in the person and work of Jesus on their behalf. Let me read that again. Justification is the act by which repentant sinners are declared and treated righteous by and before a holy God because of their faith alone in the person and the work of Jesus on their behalf. Now I'm teaching you about verb tenses and then I give you this terrible run-on sentence. But all of it needs to be in there to clearly communicate the truth of what has happened at justification There's two amazing words in there. Not only have we been declared righteous or approved and accepted, but we are also treated that way. It's one thing to say, yes, I forgive you. It's a different thing to treat someone like you forgive them. And God doesn't just declare that we are righteous. He treats us as we are righteous as well. You are made complete. You are made right in the eyes of God. Why? Because you are in Christ. He sees you as if you had lived the life of Jesus. How amazing is that? He doesn't see me as the best version of Mark, or he doesn't even see me as, a really, as the best possible outcome for my life. He doesn't see you as the best versions of yourself. He sees you as his dearly loved son, and he sees you with the perfect record of Jesus. Second Corinthians 5.17 gives us this great hope. It says, anyone who belongs in Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone, and the new life has begun. What fantastic news. Now, it might not always feel that way, right? Sometimes the old man or the old woman in our life like a zombie comes back to life from time to time. But what I want you to understand is as far as your status before God is concerned, you are fully and completely accepted by the Father and you have been saved from the penalty of sin. So the past tense uh, of sin, let's talk about the present tense of, of, of the go- I'm sorry, the past tense of the gospel. Let's talk about the present tense of the gospel of salvation. It says, "You are being saved from the power of sin. Past tense says, "We have been saved from the penalty of sin. Present tense says, "You are being saved." from the power of sin. The theological word that's used here is the word sanctification. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, which we had read, it, it says it this way in that verse. It says that, that the God that begins his good work within you will continue his work. So God begins the work, and he will continue the work in you. How many of you are thankful this morning that God is still continuing his work in you? but you are not finished yet. Yes, God wants us to be saved, but in salvation, he wants your lives to have purpose and significance. And the reality is, we want the same things as well. And so if God was just to save us for the, the, the to get us uh, out of hell and to not allow sin to, to no longer have the penalty on our lives, then why wouldn't he just take us at that moment so we don't have to deal with pain, we don't have to deal with the suffering. Once we've been saved, get us out of here. So that we can spend eternity with you. But that, yes, God wants to save you, but He wants to save you for a purpose. And this is the purpose so that you can glorify God and point to Jesus. The best way for us to do this is to look like Jesus, to be like Jesus. Here's the bad news and the good news. God knows that we, ab- we have absolutely no ability to make ourselves look like Jesus. We can't do it. We can't make ourselves look like Jesus. In fact, we don't even have the right materials to build a life that looks like Jesus. The only way, therefore, when God justifies you, when he saves you and, brings, and breathes life into your heart, he immediately begins in you the lifelong process of sanctification. Let me give you the definition of sanctification. Sanctification is the continuing, sustaining work of the Holy Spirit in your life to make you look more and more like Jesus, to to set you apart for God's purposes. Sanctification literally means set apart. And so what God is doing is he's making you look and act more and more like Jesus so that you can be set apart for his purposes. His purposes are to glorify God and to point people to Jesus. Sanctification is the present tense, or if you're an English major, it is the present progressive tense of the gospel. It is the ongoing process of the work of the gospel in our lives. It's the developing, the sharpening, the equipping, the refining phase of the gospel. Philippians chapter 2, verse 13 describes sanctification this way For God is working in you the desire. And the power to do what pleases him. He is working in you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. There's something crazy that we see in the wording, and the wording is very specific in here. Not only does God give us the power to do what pleases him, but God is the one who has to give us the desire to want our lives to be changed. Not only can we not change our lives, we don't even want our lives to be changed. Our hearts are so wicked, our hearts are so broken, our hearts are so dark that there is nothing about our heart that even wants to be redeemed outside of God's amazing grace and redemptive work in our hearts and our lives. Justification, that was the past tense, that's an act, that was something that happened one time. Jesus dies on the cross. When we put our faith and our trust in Christ, we are made righteous, our hearts are restored and redeemed, and that is an act that takes place. But sanctification is a process. It is the process by which God uses to make us look more and more like Jesus, and it is a lifelong process. Sancti- sanctification is being set apart for God's purposes and plans, not just to make us more holy than other people, but to make us be like the person of his son, Jesus Christ. God is sanctifying you, not just to clean you up, but to send you out. Let me say that again. God is not sanctifying you just to clean you up. He's doing so to send you out, to give your life purpose and a mission for your life. The gospel teaches us that this is all done by God's grace. He initiates it, and from that moment forward, he works it out in our lives. In verse 6, it said, God began this good work. The Greek word there for, uh, for began is it's the first of many steps. The first of many steps. So he takes the first step, and he's also the one that works out the other steps as well. It's not like God, it's not like, uh, it's not like God saves us by his grace, but now we have to sanctify ourselves with our own self-determination, our own effort, our own will. Now, self-determination, effort, and will are all part of growing in Christ, but they are never apart from Christ, and they are certainly never apart from God's grace. It is because of his grace and mercy, it is because we are in Christ that we, that we work and press on forward towards what God's plans are for our lives and shaping us and making us look more and more like Jesus. This means if we were to keep, that we need to keep the past tense and the present tense always connected in our lives. Any growth that is happening in our life is always connected to our deepening understanding of what has happened to us. Our deepening understanding of the gospel. Jesus said it like this in Luke chapter 7 verse 47. Those who have been forgiven much love much. The reason why we love, the reason why we turn our lives around is not because we're hoping that God will approve us, not because we're hoping that we can atone for our sins. We love much because what we have been forgiven of. And the more and more we understand what happened at justification, what God has saved us from, what he has done to our hearts, then the more and more our life begins to look like and live out as an expression of thankfulness and gratitude and worship. What I'm trying to say here is you are never going to experience ongoing salvation from the power of sin without daily remembering and rehearsing you have been saved from the penalty of sin. Justification is the starting line, but we don't move from it. We grow in it, and we grow in understanding of it. It's the truth that we have been saved from the penalty of sin that reshapes our hearts in such a way that we can respond to God's work in our lives so that we can also be saved from the power that sin has in our lives. The reality is a lot of Christians make this mistake and they try to grow in their own power and so they try to save themselves and they disconnect the work of justification from the work of sanctification and essentially what we're doing here is we're saying I need to still work and pay for my sins because they were so bad and we, we may say to ourselves, when Jesus said it was finished on the cross, that was for most people. But for me, you don't, you don't understand what I have done. There still needs to be a punishment that I need to pay. There still needs to be, the, the ledger board needs to be balanced out. And that is not the gospel. Essentially what we're saying is Jesus' finished work on the cross was not good enough to save me. And so I need to pick up where Jesus left off. And that's not the gospel. The gospel says when we put our faith and trust in the work of Jesus, our lives are restored and our dead hearts are brought to life. And so then the sanctification process is, because of our thankfulness, because of the gratitude for what has been done for us, those who have been forgiven much, love much. So past tense, you have been saved from the penalty of sin. Present tense, you are being saved from the power of sin. Lastly... This is the future tense. Someday you will be saved from the very presence of sin. Paul says it this way back in verse 6. He says, God will finally finish on the day that Christ returns. I love that. I love the, the, the notion of finally finished. We're told that it has been finished. When Jesus died, sin was eradicated from its power to condemn us if we put our faith and our trust in Jesus. But we also know that there's this process that takes place in our lives and there is our hope for the future, that God will finally finish on the day that Jesus returns. Past tense is called justification. Present tense is called sanctification. Future tense is called glorification. Let me give you the definition of glorification. Glorification is that one day we will be saved from the very presence of sin. The ultimate work of the gospel is that someday sin will be entirely eradicated. Someday. A lot of people wonder what will heaven be like. We wonder what will the streets look like? What will the buildings look like? Maybe in what our physical bodies will look like. Do you know what I wonder about heaven? What will I look like without sin? What will I look like without my insecurities? What will I look like without my pride, without my selfishness? What will I look like without pain and shame and guilt? What will our lives look like without when we are completely freed from the corrosive, poisoning effects of sin? Glorification happens for everyone that has been saved by God's grace, whether by death or when Jesus returns. When we meet the Savior face to face, we will be saved from the very presence of sin. I have to believe that even our, even our concept of sin to some degree is going to be completely wiped away, completely removed from our minds because if sin, the notion of sin still existed in eternity, then there would still be this proclivity for shame and for guilt and for fear and for remembering the pain of our past. So I have to imagine that God completely eradicates even the memory of sin. That is what heaven will be like. This means our broken bodies and our broken hearts will be redeemed and fully glorified in his presence. In Hebrews it says it this way, Hebrews 9 verses 27 through 28. And just as each person is destined to die once and after that comes judgment so also Christ died once for all time as a sacrifice to take away the sin of many people. He will come again Not to deal with our sins, but to bring salvation to all who eagerly await him. God has already dealt with sin. The the penalty and the power of sin has already been defeated. So it says, He doesn't come back to deal with our sins. Those have already been taken care of for those who have put their faith in Christ, but He comes to bring salvation for those of us who eagerly await Him. We are being saved from the, we have been saved from the penalty of sin. We are being saved from the power of sin and someday you will be saved from the very presence of sin. The gospel changes our past, our present and our future. We don't move on from the gospel, we grow deeper in affection and worship and love of the gospel message. So what does this mean for us? Justification means that it frees us from our shame and our guilt. It frees us from our past and and having to somehow pay for the penalty of our sins. A lot of Christians live this way and, and basically we're saying that what Jesus did was not good enough. How does sanctification change us? It changes our understanding that God is saving us from the power of sin. It helps us to endure and grow patient. It helps us when we take a look at the people on the left and the right of us to remember they are not finished yet either. And it helps us hopefully to have others recognize that in our lives as well. And glorification, glorification gives us hope and strength that when we suffer, when we have loss, when the story doesn't end the way that it's supposed to, we remember the story doesn't end here. This is not the end of the story. Our hope is not for today. Our hope is for tomorrow. And so all the pain and all the frustration and and, and all the guilt and all the whatever it is that is heaped on top of us is restored and redeemed fully. Maybe you've never surrendered your life to Jesus before, and today I want you to take the opportunity to ask for forgiveness for your past and allow Jesus to be Lord of your life. Maybe you've placed your trust in Christ, but you're struggling to grow. Then we need to ask the Holy Spirit to continue the process of sanctification in your life. The Spirit will point our hearts to Christ and reshape our desires. Or maybe you just need to take a moment and imagine a picture of what the future will look like if you trusted God with your past and your present, what life would be like without sin and shame and suffering and hurt and pain. What great hope we have in knowing that someday God will make everything new. This includes you. Please bow your heads with me this morning. Father, we are thankful this morning that by the power of your Holy Spirit, by the work of your Son, Jesus Christ, that when we put our faith and our trust in you, when your, your grace reveals to our heart that we are sinners in need of a Savior, you have provided everything that we need for our dead hearts to come to life. Father, we pray this morning for those who uh, are still on a journey of trying to figure out what does it mean to put your faith and hope in Christ. And we are thankful that as your word says, as we saw today, it is your Holy Spirit that even gives us the desire to have our lives transformed. So breathe life into dead hearts this morning, Lord God, as we seek your forgiveness. Father, this morning we pray that as we continue to grow, as we continue to, um, to, to look more and more like Jesus, we ask that you would help us be patient with ourselves. Help us to be patient with others. Pro- bring around us people who can encourage us, people who can give strength to us when we feel weak, Lord God. We are thankful for your sanctifying work. Help us never remove it from the work of your justification and rescuing us. Father, as we look to the future, whatever pain we bring with us, whatever suffering we have right now, whatever hurt or brokenness or shame or guilt, whatever it is that we have allowed sin to eat away at our hearts, we look forward for the hope that one day you will restore everything and you will eradicate sin from our lives. Help us to endure in the tough moments, to realize that that is not the end of our story, but our story ends with a victorious Savior returning for his bride and rescuing all of creation who has put their faith and their trust in you, Lord God. That's why we celebrate you this morning. That's why we honor you. That's why we praise you. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.